0: Our first reading is from 2 Samuel chapter 11, reading from verse 1 to 15. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to inquire about the woman. It was reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, And he lay with her. Now she was purifying herself after her period. Then she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the people fared. And how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the king's house with all the servants of his lord. And did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, You've just come from a journey. Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah remain in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live, and as your soul lives, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day. On the next day, David invited him to eat and drink in his presence, and made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord. But he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Job and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him so that he may be struck down and die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We remain seated as Mandy brings us our second reading from the lectern. The
1: reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to the end. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the goodness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: In a moment, uh, Eden will bring us the gospel reading from um, John's gospel. And I just need to bring, draw to your attention, I think Mark announced uh, two Sundays ago that uh, Eden would be leaving us uh, in a couple of weeks, it will be his final Sunday. It's been a wonderful four years having him as uh, our worship director, worship coordinator, and more of that anon on his final Sunday. But he's going to now come to the uh, pulpit to read us the gospel reading. Would you please stand?
2: After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about five thousand in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them. To those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and from the fragments of five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. When Jesus realised that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea coming near the boat and they were terrified but he said to them it is I do not be afraid then they wanted to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the land to which they were going this is the gospel of the Lord
0: Lord
2: thank you please be seated is it loud enough got yep thank you um Yes, I'll just open in prayer. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to share your word today. Um, And I just pray, Lord, that you give me the words you would have uh, for us all today, Lord. And that um, anything that's not of you would just fall away. But Lord, that your Holy Spirit would have your way in each of us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, um, there were a few different passages we had read. And the one um, I'd like to just start with uh, is actually the David passage that we had, the first one. David and Bathsheba. But I'd like to start, um, not with the passage, but with some song lyrics, being the musician I am. And these are ones you might recognise. Well, I've heard there was a secret chord that David played, and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor four, the major lift, the baffled king composing hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. David, David, man after God's own heart. David, David, the one who danced in joy before the Ark of the Covenant. David, David, composer of psalms and songs of hallelujah. You might recognize the song by Leonard Cohen, which enjoyed a big renaissance a few years ago. I think you could say that musically and lyrically it's almost a perfect song. And the second verse in particular always gets me. Your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof. Her beauty in the moonlight overthrew you. Her beauty in the moonlight overthrew you. David, David, man after God's own heart. David, David, the one who danced. David, David, adulterer. And what a bitter finale to the passage we had read today. where We we read, in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. That's Bathsheba's husband. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, then draw back from him so that he may be struck down and die. David, David, man after God's own heart. David, David, the one who danced. David, David, murderer. Oh, well, we might say these kind of stories just prove that God can use anybody. He can use King David, such a sinner, so he can use me. Well, you know, that's true in a way. But let's just pause for a minute and reflect how significant were those choices that King David made? How significant was that particular fall? First, the adultery. Although Bathsheba's beauty in the moonlight may indeed have overthrown him, it's clear from the passage that it wasn't exactly a situation where the great warrior king succumbed in the heat of the moment. On the contrary, it was quite a calculated step Verse 4 says David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Let's consider the question of power imbalance here. I mean, in this day and age, we're we're hearing a lot, aren't we, of situations where, not to mention any names, but Hollywood media moguls use their power to um, basically force uh, younger women on the whole, to have sexual relations with them. And the people afterwards, many years, say, I felt like I didn't have a choice. I felt like my whole career depended on this and that I couldn't say no. Well, if that's the case with a Hollywood media mogul, what must it have been like for the wife of a soldier brought into the presence of the king of Israel? Do we think she really had a choice? And when news of Bathsheba's subsequent pregnancy comes to David, we see him go into a panic. In that passage, we heard about how he was trying to engineer Uriah to come home from the war and go and have a few nights at home. And we all know why. And when this didn't work, when Uriah the soldier proves to be more of a committed um, warrior than perhaps the king is at this point of time, David resolves to have him killed. Look at the cold-hearted manipulation, placing Uriah in the front of the um, fighting and having the other soldiers pull back. David, David, man after God's own heart. How far you have fallen. What a tragedy. Now it's been said that God allows this to happen um, when we read the stories of the kings in the Old Testament to demonstrate that it was never really his will for the people of Israel to have a king. Actually, he says as much to Samuel in, in the book of 1 Samuel. He says, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they've rejected. They've rejected me as their king. So warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So in a sense, God is allowing this to show that no human king is ever going to perfect his covenant with his people or cause his law to finally be written on their hearts. Now that might be true. Let's put it aside for a minute though, because what I'd like us to think about is David. David, what was going on for the man? And what I want to suggest here this morning is that the great warrior king, the great worshipper David, had lost that place of desperation and dependence upon his Lord. We have some clues in the passage. In the first um, verse that was read, it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. But David didn't go. It says he sent Joab and his officers To fight the Ammonites, but David remained at Jerusalem. He's no longer leading the armies. He's no longer even going along to direct the strategy. Instead, he remained at home, and we see from a small detail, it says he rose from his couch. And that really struck me preparing. I thought, why did the author feel the need to say that that afternoon, you know, when he saw Bathsheba that evening, he rose from his couch? What does a couch symbolize anyway? I think it symbolises comfort, it symbolises rest, it symbolises inactivity. Uh, There's an app I I don't claim to have mastered. I I did put it on my phone once or twice. It's called Couch to Five. (laughs) Or there's another one apparently, Couch to Ten, um, to get you running basically, five or or ten kilometres. The couch is not generally a place of crying out or a place of active dependence upon the Lord. The shepherd boy who was living in humble poverty and composing songs of love to his Yahweh, he wasn't doing that from a couch. Or the boy trusting God that he could bring down a giant. He wasn't wasn't trusting God from a couch. Or the young warrior who hid in a cave fleeing from King Saul and later wrote the majestic Psalm 18 to celebrate the way he'd been delivered by the hand of the Lord. He wrote, He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. He wasn't writing that from a couch. From couch to five, from couch to ten, from couch to sin. I think we all know in our lives there's a particular place that we come to, a place of saying, Lord, I need you. I can't do this without you. Whatever the situation is, when you come up against the limits of your own ability to fix it, that's a place where it seems easy or easier to take hold of our living connection with the creator of the universe, our living connection with our saviour. And that's the true place that we are in and should be. That's the place we remember when we have our confession in our liturgy. You, Lord, are God in heaven, I'm down here and I'm a sinner and I don't earn it, I don't deserve it, but you, somehow you give yourself away and you come after me and you shower me with your grace and I thank you for that. This is the place we're meant to live from and This is the place we remind ourselves of when we sing our worship songs. But you know what? Victory over the Ammonites is our biggest threat. Victory over our own Ammonites, whatever they are or were. When, like David, you don't have to go to battle anymore because your armies are performing or your stocks are performing. Things can get dangerous in that kind of situation. Why do we think Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle um, than to enter the kingdom of God? Why do we think Jesus said blessed are the poor or the poor in spirit or the meek? Do you think he's exalting poverty for poverty's sake? No, he's not. But there is a special blessing for those who are living in touch with their need and their thirst and their hunger. So let me ask you this this morning. Are you in touch with your need today? with your thirst for the living water, your hunger for the bread of life? Are you yearning to be rooted and established in that love that is beyond all measure? Or are we each of us in our own way, more looking forward to the latest thrill, the newest gadget, the next holiday, or the next episode of that great new Netflix series we've discovered Look, those things aren't necessarily bad in themselves. But if they've replaced our primary need and hunger for our source, then these things become distractions and actually quite dangerous decoys because they obscure our real need and hunger. And they're dangerous temptations in that sense. Remember what Jesus said to Satan in the wilderness. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Sometimes top sports people, when they get to the top, they have trouble holding that place, don't they? And it's said that they lose the hunger that drove them to get there in the first place. Look, you might not be a top sports person. I'm certainly not. But it's when you've got the job, the family, the savings, the position... The promotion, the acclaim, and you feel like you're a recognized member of the great and the good, or at least the respectable and the quietly proud. That's when things can get dangerous because without realizing it, we can learn to run on empty or at least minimal charge. I've got my phone here, and I don't know if you're like me, but there's some nights you know, you're going to bed and you just Realise you've moved your charger. You know you took it somewhere downstairs or to plug it in somewhere else, and you think, "Ah, oh, I just can't be bothered going and finding that now. I'll be all right. You go to bed. Don't plug your phone in." You get up in the morning and you realise you've got to be out of the house all day. You look and it says eighteen <laughs> percent. Now you think, "Ah, oh, I've got to get through the day with that." Now, if you if you're like me or Maybe not. What I do is I, I get one of these battery pack things, yeah, <laughs> which are a rip-off, to be honest, but um, plug them in and um, it keeps the phone going somewhat. But what I've noticed is it doesn't often, if you're using your phone a lot, it doesn't really charge it like another charger. It just sort of holds it at 10% or 8%. It's not going up, it's not going down. And it's this race between like your day and getting home and how much power that thing's got in it. And... Um, It can be quite anxiety-inducing, but one way or another, you scrape through. Well, I wonder if um, spiritually we can be like that, because we learn to scrape through. We think, well, um, we don't need to have that charge and that time with the Lord in that particular intentional way, because, you know, I can just get through on a few prayers as I'm going. The thing is, though, that little red battery is flashing, but it's not a red battery, it's our heart. It's our heart. And as flashing as saying, I'm in the red. You might say a few prayers, plug in a battery pack, keep going. What I find then, though, is not really living out of a place of abundance. There might be an opportunity when I could have prayed for somebody or talked to somebody about Jesus or challenged a situation that wasn't right, done something that I felt was what God wanted me to do. But because I'm just getting through minimal charge. I think, oh, I haven't got the resource for that. I'll avoid that. Sometimes in a relationship, we can get like that. You know, we can um, have a friend or a cousin uh, that we've lost touch with. And, and yet, instead of the relationship being cut off, you, you still send a few emojis now and then or a Facebook like. So you keep the semblance of what was once a strong relationship. But in reality, the line has gone dead. In reality, We're kind of faking it. The thing is, uh, brothers and sisters, let's remember, we're not talking about an old friend or a cousin who we can take or leave. We have a new covenant. And David isn't our king. And really, although I'm in England now, it's not really Queen Elizabeth who's our monarch or King Charles, King William, whoever it's going to be. No, we live under the rule and reign of King Jesus. We're part of his plan in this world, his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. The restoration of all things, as Colossians says. We're called to participate in that in a myriad of ways according to the gifts and passions he's given us, the opportunities he sets in our path. And it's a mission of Bringing blessing, blessing to the world, blessing to others. Not just bless me and my family and my little sphere, but bless others. Bless the world. Wow, what a massive calling. But how can we live in that place and not just cruise around um, with our, the phones of our hearts kind of on that minimal charge? And I think really Paul gives us such a, a wonderful insight into how to do that in the Ephesians passage that we had read today. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And he says later, I pray that being rooted and established in love. Rooted and established. I think what that kind of means is instead of this silly little battery thing, it's like a super fast cable, if you've ever had one of those, cost a bit more money, charges your phone really quickly, plug it into the mains. And I think God's saying, come away with me, my children. Come away with me. Put away those little dodgy battery packs and cables that don't really give you that spiritual charge and let yourself be immersed in my presence and fully charged by my Holy Spirit. And one good thing about being rooted and established in his love in that way is that everything comes flowing from that place of intimacy. You're not faking it anymore. You're not going through the motions. You're not in a marriage of convenience And at this point, um, I'd just like to say one thing. It's going to be my last opportunity, I think. But a while ago, I realized one reason I was coming here, it wasn't just for the worship or to be with you lovely people. Um, It was the witness that Bimbi was giving me daily. You know, when you work with someone, they don't sort of sit down and teach you, but you kind of learn it by osmosis being around them. And the thing about Bimbi is that you might not always agree with him, I'll grant you that. But the man, the man comes from a genuine place of intimacy with the Lord. His leadership comes from that place. And it's, it's overwhelmingly clear. In the words of Mark Lavender, who, who said this phrase to me, he said, the thing bimbi has got is spiritual credibility. And that's because his leadership is coming from his daily walk with the Lord, his daily time, he gets up in the night, he spends that time with the Lord. And for me, I guess I realised a big part of coming here was just being around Bimbi, having him model that to me and hopefully encourage me to become a bit like that myself. So, just to conclude then, where are we, each of us, today? Where are we on the battery scale in terms of our Lord and Saviour? I mean, look, it's wonderful we're here back singing. It's just so good, uh, having kind of gone through this desert of no singing. But... In the end, it's not even singing together that's going to do it. It's each of us individually going to the Lord and having that relationship and keeping it real with the Lord. Um, Are you facing temptation yourself at the moment? You know, We talked about King David, but are you facing it? Are you in a dangerous place for some reason? Or is it another type of temptation? Is it a temptation just to draw back, to only come to church? Once in a blue moon. You know, are you feeling dry in your own spiritual life? Like you're at 5% and just hovering there and struggling. Or even worse, are you at 5% and you don't really care? Perhaps I'm really off the mark and you're kind of 50 or 60 or 70%. And you think, no, no, I'm doing pretty well. Well, I tell you what, that's great, but There's more. Focus on that extra 30 or 20 that's missing. Because Paul says in the passage, my prayer is that you be filled to the measure, with the fullness of God, 100%. Let's go after that. Uh, Years ago I had another pastor, talking about Bimbi, but another pastor who'd been um, with the outlaw bikers. It's a very different kind of life. And when he came to faith, somehow as a young man, he rode his motorcycle to a monastery and asked a Franciscan, you know, what should I do? I've become a Christian, but I don't know what to do. And he said, it's quite simple, my son. There's three things you should do. Read your Bible, pray, and go to church. And it sounds so simple, but I tell you what, I don't think you can beat it. Read your Bible, pray, and go to church. I want to challenge all of us, about those three things. And one concrete thing you might consider if you're feeling challenged is what I call my 30-minute challenge. Try just just giving the Lord 30 minutes of time every day. Shut in time. When Jesus says, when you pray, shut the door. So not while you're doing the dishes or something else, but just give the Lord 30 minutes, just you and him. 30 minutes of time where you might put some worship music on, pray to him. Or read your Bible, do a Bible in a year plan and, and journal. Just ask the Lord, what, what are you saying to me today through these passages? It might just be one sentence that you feel he's saying. Or write him a little prayer if you're not sure what he might be saying and keep track of it. Try that for a month, 30 minutes a day. don't have to read people's commentaries. You don't have to dilute it by watching YouTube clips and, and things. Just give him that time. See what happens. So um, that's pretty much it. Let's um, just be encouraged to get to that place of um, a super fast cable connection with the Lord, which is what he offers us through his Holy Spirit. It's not something that we earn or deserve, but he gives it away to us. All we have to do is ask. So if you'd just like to um, pray with me now for a minute, I just encourage you, close your eyes. As the band comes up, comes back up, the band could come back up. Thanks. We're just going to close our eyes. Hold out our hands if you like in prayer. I'm just going to ask the Lord to download this sense of a living connection upon us afresh. And I'll pray the words of the, the wonderful passage in Ephesians, the prayer for the Ephesians. And try and make it a prayer for us today. Lord Jesus, would you come? Would you come by your Holy Spirit right now, Lord? For this reason, Lord, I I kneel before you, Father, from whom your whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of your glorious riches, Lord, you would strengthen all of us here and watching online, all of your people here at St. Paul's in this community, um, through your spirit and with your power in our innermost being, so that Christ would truly dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that being rooted and established in love, we would have power together with all your followers, Lord, to grasp how deep and wide and long and high is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that we would be filled to the measure with the fullness of God. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.